My name is Leon Jackson. I work at Target. Um, I'm a team member at Target. I, I go there and I work, and that's how I kind of express my faith. It's, it's through the people and through loving on people and, and through being a light when I'm around, when I'm at work and wherever I'm at. You know, I'm always, I always have God a priority in my life as, as a reflection of, of my faith and um, what I carry around. I want people to know that he has a heart for them also. And it's a blessing to be praying at Munger. Um, I feel like God is, God is using me and, and flowing through me. Anything that is presented to me, or any opportunity that's presented to me that's, that's dealing with, just dealing with Jesus, I mean, I always want to be a part of it. I always you know, want to, want to make myself available. I'm all in because Jesus has blessed me with everything I have. And, He's, he's the reason why I, I, get, I get back up every day. He's the reason why I go. He's the reason why I'm so passionate. He's the reason why I'm so energetic because um, he, he brings you out of a mess and he brings you through the fire. And so you just gotta have that fire, fire in your heart and, to where, to, and just to be sold out to wherever, whatever we are and whatever we have, it's, it all goes back to him because it all comes down from him. My name is Leon Jackson and I'm all in for Christ. Bless y'all. If you're just joining us, first of all, you probably need to change your clocks ahead. And uh, my name is Andrew Forrest. I'm the pastor here. It's real great to have you with us today. I made a really bold statement last week. It was this. I said, God forbid, if this church ceases to exist on this corner, I hope this neighborhood is the worst place to live. I hope there are more potholes in the streets, more litter in the parks, worse marriages, children who have less of a hope, pe more people in addiction, more people in poverty. I hope there is... This place is a darker place to live if this church isn't here. And that sounds like a terrible thing to say, and of course, it's the exact opposite of the thoughts of my heart. But the point is, I think we should be part of a church that matters. And then if one day this church were to go away, the city leaders would have to say, we're going to have to raise taxes because this church is making such a difference in its region. And I think I know this about you, whether you're here for the first time or not, whether you'd call yourself a Christian or not, there's a part of you, someplace in your heart, that thinks the church ought to matter. It thinks the gospel ought to change things. It's the same with me as well. And so last week, for the next several weeks, we started what we are calling our all-in campaign. You know, I, I saw this great video on, on 60 Minutes where these guys stand up on the edge of cliffs, thousands of feet high with parachutes and these special suits. And they just jump off and go for it. And they fall and then the air takes them. And I love that image because you're all in at that point. You're totally committed. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. It's not any kind of spiritual hokey pokey. You can't be lukewarm. You can't be a fence sitter. You've got to be all in. And if we're going to be a church that matters, we're going to have to be a church that's all in. We're not going to make a difference in East Dallas, in our city, in our world, if, if we're just pretending and going through the motions. My friend Leon, who was on the video just now, isn't here today. Today is actually his birthday, and you know where he is today? He is on a bus headed to San Antonio to work uh, among the elderly and with a team of folks who are going to repair homes that they can't afford to do themselves. And I love Leon, and maybe you've seen him from afar. He often leads prayers here on Sunday morning. He seems like a great guy. Up close, he's even a greater guy. He's in my kitchen group that meets in my house, and he's a blessing to everybody he meets. And Leon is kind of, frankly, one of my heroes in the faith because I want to be somebody like that. He works at Target, as he mentioned, and he as he's stacking the carts together, if you've ever seen him there, you can just tell, man, that guy is just on fire. He makes everything better because he's there. Well, what if that were true of you and me and our church? 
So I have three huge goals for this campaign. They are what Jim ha uh, Collins calls BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals. These are huge. Here's the first one. I want to get, at the end of our campaign, 200 folks who are serving regularly, 200 volunteers. What a difference it'll make if we have that many people working in our children's ministry, tutoring kids from the neighborhood, working at Habitat houses, volunteering their time with AA or whatever it is. That's an incredible thing. I think if we can hit that goal, boy, God will do powerful things. But I don't want us to just a church that's about what we do because that'll make us really shallow and superficial. It'll be all about us. I want us to, to do what we do because of what God has already done for us and what God is doing in us. It'd be very hard to pour into other people if your cup is empty yourself. And so our second goal is an equally audacious goal. It's to have 300 people meeting in what we call kitchen groups, our, our small groups at the end of this campaign. This is incredible, but I'm telling you, if we have that many people meeting in groups, marriages will change, families will change, offices will change. Even with that number of people, Dallas will be a different city to live in. And then finally, right now, we, we, as you know, if you've been here before, we're a new congregation, we, and we've done a great job in this building. It's a lovely space, but we lack adequate space for our kids, and we lack a space where kids who aren't part of our church would want to come and be a part of. Here's a couple of quick pictures of the space. It needs a little bit of work, okay? It's a fixer-upper, as they say. We own the building. We can't use it. It's 30 yards behind me over here. And so my third and final goal, and this is also a big one, is to have 100 families at the end of our campaign commit to pledge, ultimately we need about $1.5 million for, to renovate this space. Now, some of you are good at math and your, the mental calculators are going or your phone is going. I'm not expecting this to happen equally. That's not the way it works. That doesn't happen on Sunday morning. It's not really how the body of Christ is supposed to work. Each of us gives what we can. In fact, Jesus tells this great story. He's sitting at the temple watching people put their offerings in, and some people come and put you know, bags of cash in, and then an old widow comes up and just drops two little coins in. Jesus says, She's actually given more. So it's not about equal gifts numerically. It's about equal sacrifice. And so whether you can give $100, $1,000, $100,000, or whatever the thing is, my prayer is that you'll be moved to say, I want to be a part of what God is doing in this community. So those are our three goals. We're calling it our all-in campaign. Because we're going to make a difference in East Dallas if we are going to be a church that matters. It's not going to happen inevitably there are lots of churches in our world unfortunately and we just prayed for some of them lots of churches that are at least from my perspective and i can't see it from god's perspective are irrelevant to their neighborhoods and to their communities at which nothing really is happening now the lights are on and the doors are open and maybe there's people there but nothing matters there that i can see perhaps you know churches like that because that's where we're going to go because we're a sinful selfish people so only if we make steps of commitment and say, Lord, we want to be all in for our neighborhood, for our city, for the gospel. Only if we make that kind of commitment is it going to happen. And so for the next four weeks, last week we launched the series. For the next four weeks, I'm going to be looking at a different expectation or focus that our church has for its members. We want our folks to be in worship every week. We want them to give regularly. We want them to, to be committed to their spiritual growth, to be in a kitchen group, to be about prayer and studying the scriptures. And we want them to serve. And I thought I would talk about that today, about service. What does it look like, in other words, to be all in for other people? One of our commitments around here is to be for other people before ourselves. What does it look like? How do we know when that's happening? And what are the uh, roadblocks in our way that could keep us from achieving that? 
We're not the first people to ask that question. In fact, there was a lawyer who approached Jesus 2,000 years ago and put the same question to him. This is from Mark, uh, this is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. This is a very famous parable that Jesus tells. If you've never been in church before and never read the Bible, there's some words in this parable that you're familiar with. This is Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself... What a powerful aside. I wonder how much energy I spend and you spend trying to justify ourselves before God and other people. What a waste of time. And wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In other words, what does all in look like? Where are the limits? What does it look like to really be committed to my neighbor's welfare? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, you've heard that word before, but a Samaritan while traveling came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. And then Jesus asked this question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. God, take my words and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire for you and for our neighbor. Amen. If you've never been in church before, you've heard that parable. It's not called that in the Bible, but we call it the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I want to look at that parable this morning. And, you know, commentators have said it has a, a threefold structure, the way like a lot of jokes do, you know, a Republican, a Democrat, and a priest walk into a bar. That's sort of the format of this, this story. But I don't want to talk about the priest this morning cuts a little too close to home, so we'll, we'll excuse the priest. I don't want to talk about the Levite this morning, because I don't really know what a Levite is exactly. I'm kidding, but only kind of, so I'll ignore the Levite. But I don't want to talk about the Samaritan, because there's somebody else in the story that I find very interesting. Now, he's overlooked. He's not one of those three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan. But in a way, he's the most important part of the story. Did you catch it? It's the man. Jesus begins the story like this. A man walked down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Have you ever been to the Holy Land or do you know anything about it? Jericho is very low, below sea level. And Jerusalem is on a ridge. So between Jerusalem and Jericho, there's about a 17-mile road that falls about 3,400 feet. And in the ancient world, it was a place full of cliffs and turns. And it was where uh, robbers and bandits used to hide out and waylay people. 
in our, in our current context, it might be like some of the roads that lead from Texas to Mexico today. Are they dangerous and we don't want to go there? That's what the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was like. And sometimes people have to travel a dangerous road. And this man in the parable is going that way. That's all we know about him. We don't know if he's a Samaritan or he's a Jew or a Greek or a Persian or anybody else. We don't know if he's old or young, if he's married or not married. We don't know if he's uh, faithful to his wife or not. We don't know if he's generous or not. We don't know if he's observant of the Torah, the Jewish law or not. We don't know anything about him, which might be exactly the point that Jesus is trying to make in this story. And I think this morning, who are the people in our world who are in a ditch, so to speak, like the man in the story? If this were a movie, it would be, this would be an R-rated scene. This guy is beaten, stripped, pulpy, bloody, left for dead, very violent. Isn't it sad that there's just as much violence in our world as there ever has been? This man is lying there in a ditch, left for dead. Who are the people in our world that are in ditches this morning? Here, here's, here's one that I think of off the top of my head. I think of the child whose life and family lacks love in our neighborhood. I think of this kid who's growing up with what somebody said to me one time, nothing the world values, doesn't know how to speak to adults, doesn't know how to get a job, doesn't know who or she, he or she is. I'm thinking of the little girl who thinks only if she has uh, boys' attention is she of value. I'm thinking of the little boys that think only if I am stronger and better at sports, only if I can dominate other people physically, am I important. I'm thinking about those children in the ditches around us this morning. What would it look like if we became the kind of church that reached out to those kids, that created an environment that was welcoming to them and said some of the most important words a human can say to another human, I believe you can do this. What if we sat down with little third grade boys or 15 year old kids and said, God has a plan for you. You're a priceless creation. What if we saw those sorts of kids through the eyes of God? It'd be a powerful thing. There are a lot of kids in our neighborhoods this morning who find themselves in ditches, so to speak. Somebody else I'm thinking of this morning, I'm, I'm thinking of single moms in our community. Boy, they have it tough a lot of times. They're trying to do it all, trying to pay the bills, trying to parent their kids, trying to put on a face of hope and joy in front of their kids, even if it's not what they're feeling on the insides. I think there's a lot of single moms in our community this morning who might find themselves in ditches, so to speak. This is one of the reasons why I like Exodus Ministries Dallas so much. It's a little organization, a Christian nonprofit, just down the road over there behind the Sonic on Ross Avenue. And they work with single moms who've been spent time in prison and their kids. If there was ever a place our church could just make a difference, it's right there. Maybe this morning, in fact, God's sort of tugging on you and, and your role will just to be to mentor one of these moms, just to be her, just to be her friend, take her out to dinner take the kids to the movies, just to be somebody to come alongside. All of us need so much help in our lives. And maybe you could offer that. Maybe God is tugging on you. What a great thing it would be if our church became known as a church that really had a heart for single moms and their kids. But there's other people in the ditches around us this morning, and, and they're not as obvious. These two things I've named are sort of obvious, but here's another one. What about the person in, in my mind who's like a 45-year-old dad who looks good on the outside, he drives a nice car, he has a, a wife and kids, a nice house and a job, but spiritually on the inside, he's in a deep ditch. 
you know those kind of people, maybe you're here this morning and that's your story. I'm saying the kind of person whose marriage is just fractious and bitter all the time. I'm talking about the person who, who has lost a relationship with his kids, who doesn't know how to be a dad to them. I'm talking about the kind of guy who thinks that if he doesn't keep up a certain front, people will think less of him. The kind of guy who thinks it's all about what he has to do to keep his family going. The kind of family that spends more money than they make. The kind of family that when they sit around the, the dinner table, it's not a time of joy, it's a time of accusation and anger. There's people like that in our neighborhood who are just as lost as the other people that I mentioned. And if the church doesn't come alongside them and offer them the good news of the gospel, doesn't echo the words of the song, God has a great plan for you, those people will be lost too. I'd like us to be the kind of church that reaches out to all those sorts of folks and offers encouragement and hope and help. Who do you see that's in the ditches in our community this morning? pause there. I want to change subject a little bit. I have here not a corpse. We actually had two weddings yesterday. This is not from the funeral. I have here a table setting. When you're hungry, you need to eat. That's important. And when you have a certain type of spiritual hunger, only the Lord can satisfy it. That's good. But it strikes me that one of our problems, as both a specific congregation and then as the American church, is that a lot of us are just all about feeding ourselves. We're about what's on our plates, what's in our glasses, hey, can I have some more coffee? That's what we're about. It's about us. No, 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 don't misunderstand me. If you're here this morning... And you're just checking out the faith, just checking out this church. I really want you to be here. I want you to just be and observe without any sort of uh, expectation or threat to you. You'll hear me say it in a little bit. And if you've been here before, I say it every week. When the offering comes, if this is if you're just a guest, we don't expect for you to give. We're not after your cash. We're not interested in that. We want you just to be blessed by the experience. But there's a point. For a lot of others of us, when we have been sitting at the table for a long time. And you know, the problem with this is that it's all about us. And one of the major problems I see in American Christianity is that we're such consumers. The music was too loud. They didn't do enough hymns. They did too many hymns. It was too hot in there. It was too cold in there. The pastor wasn't funny enough. He told too many jokes. I, I like the church for this aspect, but I go to this church for this. I, I want to be over here for this on Wednesday night, and then I watch this guy's sermon on Sunday morning over here. And it's kind of all about you. It's, it's a big grab bag, as if it's some kind of buffet, just to meet your need. Have you ever seen the 1971 movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? I haven't seen the newest version because I like the old one better. But there's this great kid. He's got to have one of the best names in all of literature. His name is Augustus Glute. Have you seen him? He's this little porky German kid who wins one of the golden tickets. He's the pride of Duselheim, Germany, as the narrator tells us. Well, there's this scene where they go and they see Willy Wonka's incredible chocolate factory. And Augustus is there with his mom. And Augustus sees the river of flowing chocolate. And he can't resist. And he goes over and he's lapping it up. And his mom says, she goes, Save some room for later, Augustus. I, I love that phrase. 
but he leans in too far, and he falls in, and he gets sucked up in the tube towards the Oompa Loompa to wherever he goes. I mean no offense, but a lot of us are just like the Augustus Glutes of the church world. You know, it's kind of all about us. I want to have the right parking space, sit in the right seat. I want to have my needs met. And if anything ever challenges me or makes me feel a little uncomfortable, I'm not, I'm not going back there because it's just me. And by the way, can I have some more coffee? Now, when you're starving in the desert, you need to eat. That's important. But just as in real life, in the spiritual life, if it's only about you eating, you're digging your grave with a knife into it. Could I challenge you today, maybe, just to step back from the table and take the napkin and maybe put it over your arm as a serving towel? What an incredible thing it would be if our church became known for the way that we served our community. See, and you're making two mistakes right now. The first is that you think I'm talking about getting you to move away from the table and to start serving. I'm actually not really that interested in that. Do you know what I'm interested in? I'm interested in the person that you serve moving away from the table and serving somebody else. I'm thinking like four or five iterations of this down the line. Can you imagine that, what that would be like? There is in the church world what they call the 80-20 rule. Maybe you've heard about this. I don't know if it's scientific, but we talk as if it is. You know, 20% of the folks are really serving the other 80%. And that's probably just human nature. And until the Lord comes back, that percentage isn't going to change. But you know what we want to be about around here? An ever-growing number of the 20%. There's always more people to serve. There's always more needs to meet. Always more words of hope to speak. But if there's 20 of us, we can only serve 80. But there's 200 of us or 2,000 of us. You get the picture. What if we became known as the church, not where people came on Sunday morning, but where they left on Sunday afternoon to go out into the world? What if the numbers we cared about were not who came here and sat in the pew or in a seat on Sunday morning, but who went and met a need on Monday morning or lived a certain way in the office or in the family? And when the people that you begin to serve themselves push away from the table and start serving, that's what's called a movement. Like it's, it's unstoppable. It's like a glacier. It's going to keep advancing inch by inch through our city and our world. That's exactly what happened in the early part of the Christian age. There's a, a few Christians, a ragtag bunch of Christians in AD 40. And by AD 300, they had taken over the Roman Empire. Do you know why? Because the Christians went into the cities and when there was a plague, they cared at the expense of their own lives for those who were sick. They offered new communities and new services. They served, and it was unstoppable. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I want you to be all in for. It's not about us. It's about the others. It's about the world. Don't make the mistake of thinking it's just about you. The stakes are much, much higher than that. But equally, don't make the mistake of thinking that you lose something when you push away from the table and put the towel over your arm. Listen, if you're exactly like me, I know how you are. You think, okay, maybe one day I'll have to grit my teeth and begin serving and stop making life about me. 
if you think that way, you are making a sore mistake. Jesus put it like this in Mark chapter 8. He said, if anybody comes after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who seek their lives will lose it. But those who lose their lives for my sake and the sake of the gospel will gain it back. I'm not talking about you giving up something. I'm talking about you gaining something. What if the life you've always wanted, God wants to give you as soon as you stop making it about yourself and living for other people? What, if, what an incredible thing. What if, what, if, what if that's the reward of being all in? What's if, what if it's what God wants to give us? And do you know why this makes so much sense? At the center of all things is our God in whom we live and move and have our being. And as I quoted it last week, I'll probably quote it through our whole series. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, Let the same mindset be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who being in the very same nature as God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited, grasped, held in, did not consider himself entitled to be fed, but rather emptied himself, taking the form of a human being, even the form of a slave, and humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. But it doesn't end there, and Paul says, but God, he was raised from the dead, and therefore God has exalted him. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Christ is Lord. And the giving is where the getting comes. Those who seek their own lives will lose it, but those who lose their lives for my sake and the sake of the gospel will gain it back. That's what it looks like to be all in. I'm just wondering today if you're going to take that dare. I wonder if you've kicked the tires enough, looked around enough. I wonder if you've had enough to eat and it's time just to push back the table from the table, put the towel over your arm, and pray an explosive prayer. God, what do you want to do through me? May the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give us the courage to pray it and the grace to follow through. Amen. Amen. And amen.